0: We? We're at Rod Emery's place. That's right, Mrs. Ryan. <laughs> we just got an awesome tour and uh, let's look around a little bit, huh? All right, Mrs. Ryan, you're standing next to a car that is pretty important. Did you learn about it? I learned that it's
1: the one that was at Le Mans.
0: The one that was at Le Mans? You're exactly right. The first one, I think. The first one, this is the SL. Hi. Hi. All right, going into the shop. Yeah, I wore this shirt, white Carpe gear. Seemed appropriate, well, with uh, the 11 inside and all. I know. Uh, we're here at Rod Emery's shop. It is so loud. It is so loud. We got a bit of a tour. Let's walk around, so we know where everything is. There you go. Very there
2: cool. There you go. That was so
1: much fun. You're such an inspiration. I hope you uh, know that. Well, thank you. Legitimately, um,
2: I just uh, spend my day pounding on these old cars
0: and doing what I we love. Thank and, you for that. Yeah, we. Uh, I was saying to you during while that was playing that um, you know people have heard you talk about what you do. People have seen the videos. They've seen the pictures. They've seen your real cars. It's awesome and it's amazing uh, to be in your shop. Is a, a completely different thing it's it's almost an emotional experience which is why that video is kind of done in that manner where it's right. a little more slow and emotional um if you're into what you do which we are uh it's where it all happens it's yeah. very cool to see the stuff in a parking lot but to see it being literally made by people's hands um it's very it's just very cool as as an artist you yeah. know what i mean as a fellow artist uh i totally get it and uh Damn good.
2: Well, you know, I mean, that's that's how these cars were created in the very beginning. And and uh, the only way to really bring them back and keep their spirit alive is to just, you know, honor that and do it yeah. exactly as it was done back in the day. Yeah. Um, you know, which is part of why, for me, creating the environment for not only me, but my employees, um, that is as much of a reflection of what the old Porsche factory was really like, you know, that's, that's the important part for me because— you know sure we could put up a big glass palace you know get a concrete yeah. tilt up building and and build these things in a Have little, a tour and the whole bit you know sterile environment and uh you know with blue lights shining all over <laughs> and all kinds of stuff but um it just wouldn't it wouldn't transport you back to the you know the time and, and
0: you, uh, i think you nailed it and that was probably your intention from the beginning and i just received it without realizing what i was receiving but that's what it felt like it felt like you're recreating history. not You yeah. know what I mean? Like, you're creating history, but you're also recreating history, which is so stinking cool. Because yeah. we're, we're all historians. Anybody who likes a 356 is, by default, they're a historian of some type, right? You like a 50-plus-year-old car, yeah. a 60-plus-year-old car.
1: Is that what makes it a 350? Is that how old it is? Is that the delineation of 356? No, six? it
0: was just that was
2: the the body designation from the beginning. That's what, uh, uh, you know, and then when Porsche started building the nine like 911 car... Um, or the you know the next generation of cars you know they started with 901 which there's only a handful of cars that are actually called 901s because Peugeot had a um, uh, the trademark the trademark, the trademark copyright. Yeah, a copyright or trademark or whatever on um, three digit car numbers or names with a zero in the middle and so then they changed it to 911. Um, that's so, why. Yeah.
0: Trivia <laughs> well, the, the for nine all and the of the one. We're fine. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Here, it's good trivia for people like right. me that have no information um, about this. That's yeah. that's
0: true. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people don't But know. the 356
2: is, is really what I've spent most of my life, um, you know, um, involving myself with just because that was my first car. It was a car that my dad sold parts for
0: and it was just something that. You know, I fell in love with as a kid. Can we talk about? Well, there's two, I want to talk about you. That's a nice hybrid there. I want to talk about your family, but also I want to talk about your first car, because your first car for me is. It, forgive me, you're, all of your cars are spectacular. It's one of my all-time favorites. Um, Porsches, cars. Yeah. Uh, for a lot of reasons, um, it's so stinking cool. But what hits us personally is your color scheme for one. Yeah, uh, I grew up a massive Letterman fan, and it's the <laughs> navy and the blue. You know, the navy and the yellow. And Mrs. Ryan went to Michigan, which same color scheme Got and it. the whole bit. So I'm looking at this car and do you watch the basketball. Model. No,
1: uh, me either. But they're going to the final. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, th- there's just
0: so much. Uh, I feel like, oh, if I had a car, that's how I would do it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like the, right. there were a lot of choices that I personally would have made, and probably will never make now because you did it already. Uh, or maybe I'll just do an exact copy of that car there someday. You go. And I, yeah. you know what I mean? And 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 hopefully have you do it. Um, serial number two. There you That's go. That's a hell of an idea, yeah. actually. If you would ever be open to that, <laughs> when I can write a check for it, let's do All it. Right. All right.
1: Sounds good. <laughs> can I ask a random question? Yeah. Okay, so this weekend on our Easter time together. Someone kept asking us, like, well, what do you mean by outlaw? And I didn't have a succinct way to answer that. We kept describing things and giving examples of. But do right. you have a succinct way of describing what an outlaw is?
2: Well, I think or an outlaw really was just um, more of an idea. I mean, really, it was, you know, you you had back in the 80s um, when— Everybody that had a Porsche, they were so focused on restoring these cars back to full concourse. So you went to a PCA event, you went to a 356 registry event, and the cars were being restored or or fixed up back to exactly how they were. Because leading up to that, in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, people were just driving them and literally driving them into the ground. Mm.
0: And... 80s come That's around. That's what I remember yeah. from the 70s and 80s even. It was still a lot of that. Yeah, just driving them, driving them, driving stop. them.
2: And then all the car shows were focused on people that were had been restoring these cars um, back to really better than they were originally. And, you know, the full Concorde kind of Porsche movement, you know, was in full force. And people were coming to my dad's shop and my dad was selling parts for these cars um, to keep all these cars on the road. And then also for all the restorers, getting them back to how they were. Now we went to period. Correct. That was actually your dad's shop, right? Yeah, twenty nine fifty Randolph Avenue is my oh, dad's cool. old shop, and uh, so, so cool. And that's where I built my first car. So here I am, fourteen years old. My dad had been tinkering with cars, you know, doing some cars, and I had helped him. But it was time for me to do my car, and um, you know, my first car. And so my dad and I decided, okay, let's build two cars. We'll build one for you and one for hmm. me. Oh, and so it. we built um, uh, for me. It was a nineteen fifty three. Uh, bent window coupe and then for him it was a 1965 so the kind of other end of the spectrum okay uh the latest 356 and his was right hand drive and so i did mine i wanted blue was like my favorite color and i did mine blue with yellow numbers and he did his yellow with blue numbers um and his mine was number 80 his was number 81 and we built these two cars together and um so cute you know so
0: but i remember seeing
2: racing pictures of these two cars together right is that you and your dad yep well, he he never raced, okay. So. Um, I actually raced his car um, when I was 16. And I raced both cars, mine and his. That's so cool. And you know, I blow his up. And <laughs> yeah, there you <laughs> go. Great to have a spare. My, my dad's <laughs> an idea guy. You know, he comes up with all these great ideas, and he's a salesman. And and uh, you know, he sold me on it. You know, and uh, on the idea. And but he, you know, he's been. Selling was it all a these father parts.
0: son for him? Was it like a father son thing? I want to do this with you, or was it to get you into it? You were already into. I it. was
2: already into it, but it was time for me to build my own car. Gotcha. you know. And um, so. You know, we built these two cars, and so I'm in the back of my dad's Porsche shop, and we're, you know, we're doing all the, you know, rust repair, and we're getting them all prepared so we can send them off and have them painted. And all of his buddies were coming around the shop that were buying parts for all their cars to do them full Concord, and they're they're like, you guys are outlaws. Hmm. You know, you guys can't, you know, you can't be – because I was – you know, we put fog lights in the front of mine. We mm-hmm. put fog
0: lights on the hood of his. We put hood straps on them. All this kind of cool. Well, that's stuff. what I was thinking. You were drilling holes for the straps and everything. I mean, that was yeah. way against the rules back then. It was then. against
2: the rules, and so that's that's where the term outlaw came about. And what's happened is over the years, whenever it's a modified Porsche, you know, people refer to it as an outlaw. But it was just really, because
1: it's not it's original
0: not, because it's not stock. It's not original. Okay. Um, you took it upon yourself to change what Porsche did. Right. Right. Is, that's is what, what some people look at. Outlaw-ness. Yeah.
1: But is that, well, you, I'm asking you, you would know, I feel like that's changing, I feel, like the, in that more people are adopting the outlaw mentality versus the pristineness of. Let's it's just Outlaw's, bust outlaw's every gone mainstream. It,
2: it's more accepted. You okay. know? I mean, this was 30 years ago. And, um, you know, people didn't really understand why we'd, we'd be modifying or personalizing our cars, and we just kept doing it. And right. then next thing you know, everybody else is kind of doing it. We weren't the first ones to customize a Porsche. We were just the first ones to give it a name, sure. which was outlawed. Well, you had the badge and everything. Right.
0: Or you have the badge. We, yeah, everything. we
2: put that badge on the back of our cars. And so that's where the name, you know, really kind of attached itself to to, uh, to Porsches. Um, but again, for 20 some years, it was like, uh, you know, people like the PCA didn't know what to do with it. Porsche didn't know what to do with it. And everybody was like, "Uh, you know, we need to, you know, let's just kind of stick to what we know.
0: Kind of an awkward stepchild out in the corner,
2: right? That kind of. Exactly. But now it's like the public, you know, wants it, you Mm -hmm. know, that the new consumer of Porsche is somebody that, that doesn't just want, the same red car that the next person has. They all want something personalized. And so even the brand new cars that are, that are being bought, you know, everything, everybody wants paint a sample. They want special stitching. They want this, they want that. So in a sense, they're kind of outlawing or, or personalizing their new cars. and, And the, that's just really what the consumer is after now. So they're now they're going, wait a second, I just customized my brand new car. Well, heck, I want an old one. That's custom and personalized. And so it's become more mainstream.
0: Um, It's not that we're doing anything different than we ever have. Right. It's just now. Well, I think that's one of the things that makes you so great and so identifiable is that you do stick to what you do. You do what you do, and that's what you do. Right. You know what I mean? People have glommed onto it and been like holy shit this is awesome <laughs> Yeah, and that's great for you but you're just doing your thing you're just an artist who is doing what he believes in right like you believe these. these you're making these things better
2: yeah making them drive better making them handle better more power more brakes or better brakes um, but really just making them so that they're they're kind of a, an evolved 356 you know we've taken we haven't thrown away the design haven't thrown away the look or feel or smell or vibrations we just kind of evolved it and made it more um, rel- you know, m- more, um, more relevant for yeah. today, you know, and, and, and.
1: Do you mean like user friendly or better drivability Both. or. Hmm. Okay. Both. Yeah.
2: You know, they're all 12 volt, which means the lights actually work and the car starts. Um,
0: <laughs> That's batteries. They used to be six volt in the old days. So yeah. they're converted over.
1: The one that you can't stick your tongue to, right? <laughs>
0: That's yeah. That's nine volt. That's nine volt. <laughs> oh. yeah. Yeah. My bad. Yeah. But yes.
2: Uh, but yeah, so it's got better, better power, uh, on the electrical system but also the engine has a lot more power drivability so it's like three times the power well, brakes too i would imagine yeah disc brakes instead of the old drum brakes where you're hoping that they're gonna stop when you get to <laughs> the don't get stoplight. them wet in the whole
0: bit <laughs> yeah
1: that's a nightmare uh, the disc ones are like what's on regular
2: on newer cars, cars. More modern, yeah the disc brake came out in like 1964 okay. prior to that it, on porsches prior to that it was uh, uh there was a short period that porsche had a brake called the annular brake which is kind of a hybrid between the the drum and disc but really uh, it was on the carrera cars yeah cool yeah they're really cool did they work they worked really well they sound awesome the annular brakes yeah they just didn't i can't i can't imagine a a hybrid from a serviceability. they just didn't work well Well, they they used part of the drum as their hub and then they had a disc rotor oh i see they built on top of it and then the um caliper came in from the inside so it was more like an aircraft brake. And, Interesting. Uh, and that's what Porsche used in 62, 63. Uh, but then the regular, ber- like, disc brakes as we know it were introduced in okay, 1964. You asked a question and I learned something.
0: Nice job, You're Mrs. Welcome. Ryan. I <laughs> finally got one. Thanks so go like on. the little green car that you were looking at <laughs> that, yes. that
2: uh, had the... The uh, tartan interior, yes, the one that, the one that Leno just drove. And Leno just drove that car on Wednesday. Oh, cool. Um, but uh, that car has annular disc brakes on it. No so, kidding. So we, we recreated the the disc brakes that Porsche had, and we did those on five or six cars. So.
0: Cool. So you recreated, as in that you had to we, fabricate? We recreated everything,
2: every component. To, wow. Yeah.
1: Wow. So, pardon me, uh, what's important to me in this whole thing? Jay Leno drove the car I like.
2: The green one? Yeah. Yeah.
1: I love that guy. I've known him for a long time on and off. And he's just the coolest. Is that car- You guys went
0: to Afghanistan. We Afghanistan did. together for oh, the USO. Cool. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you really yeah. actually <laughs> have spent time. Well when
1: Byron I think it was Byron that was here, he was like, I was gone for two weeks and I was like, We did it in and out in like three days. Yeah. It was a press trip, it was super short, but I spent a lot of time with, the with Today Jay. Show, right? Yeah, with yeah. Jay. It was Al Roker's charity. That's right. Um, And Eliza, and like a bunch of other people. Hi, Eliza. Um, She's great. I hope you get to meet her. Um, He is so knowledgeable about so many different kinds of cars i didn't know where to start with him and we weren't really into porsches yet i wasn't you've been forever so i didn't ask any of the right questions but all i want to talk to him about he is that w- car now he was all just he was just happy that you
0: had i'm from connecticut so he yeah. was happy that you'd met Wayne carini oh yeah oh, he was like oh you know Wayne face
1: oh man that was that we were on like a little tram like in like some desert air it was so oh, wow. weird i was like Oh, hey, because you know I'm me always in <laughs> Afghanistan. I'm like, oh, hi, do you know Wayne Carini? I was just there. <laughs> was like, oh, sure. Uh, you
0: were going to say about Jay Leno, though, in that car, and you love him.
1: I just love that he drove that car. I can't wait to watch. What's that going to be on?
2: Sometime later this year. I'm not sure what the schedule is. On but what,
1: though? What show? On uh, his
2: show? On his Jay Leno's Garage on CNBC. I was going to say it's the TV yeah. show, not the web So he show. came to the shop uh, two days after you guys were there. And did it it was his first time at the shop and did a tour and walked around yeah and then uh, then we took that car out and went driving in the hills so it was fun
1: I love it does he drive fast
2: oh yeah he gets on it
0: yeah he he definitely pushes the you know pushes I'm, the cars I'm curious what his portion knowledge is because I know he is so knowledgeable about we were talking about before how can you be knowledgeable about everything that guy's knowledgeable about everything yeah he's it's kind he's of incredible. very
2: well-rounded when it comes to cars and motorcycles you know um you know, but he, he He's got a few Porsches, right? I know he, he has a Carrera for sure. He has a, a Carrera. He also has a Carrera GT, and then but he has right. a, a 1971 911 T. Oh, brown he did one. get a 911. Yeah, so he's got three cool. three Porsches. Oh, Do people... does he
1: keep them out here in LA? Yeah, or he California? keeps them, keeps them
2: all at his uh, right up the street at his place oh. by the airport. Bye-bye. You've been there too.
1: <laughs> I know, but
2: yeah,
0: um, who knows?
1: A long time ago. I see Jerry Seinfeld's cars all the time on the auctions and Spike and, like, all. They know so much about those cars, and I don't yet. Yeah. So I just like following
0: all that. You're getting there. Yeah. I mean, it's incredible that you even care to me. Ah. I just, I'm the luckiest guy in the world, right? (laughs) That's right. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, Uh, next to you, who you get to work with your wife.
2: Yeah. I know. She's there holding down the fort right now. She was doing VIN verifications with uh, the registration guy as I left. So, yeah.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. You're lucky, too. She's awesome. She's a trooper. Well, this is getting on to family, so let's get let's get on to your talented family. Yeah. Can we talk about your family a little bit? Sure, yeah. I mean, tell me if there's anywhere we shouldn't go, but no, that's I mean, cool. you're... you're you come from talented people. Your kids are talented. Your wife's talented. I mean, what the heck, man? You know, you guys I think, are just all creative. <laughs> well, no, I think it just comes down to work ethic. You okay. Know?
2: Because I think that you know we're all given talents, right? I mean, we all have yes. uh, certain things. I think that you know, there's some people that can play instruments, or some people, you know, it's just their given talent. Uh, but then there's other people that have like earned talents. is kind of how I look at it. And you know, if you're passionate about something, and you put in the work. You can become pretty darn good. Interesting, at it. Um, and um, and I think that's really kind of where my family falls into line. You know, I don't I don't know that that um, uh, you know I was born with some crazy talent. I think that I was just born with a a passion for these cars mm-hmm. and a and a like extreme desire to want to learn everything about them and yes. then to surround myself with the right people uh, and mentors and 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 people that can give me those skills that with enough practice, you can become really good at it. That know? is so cool. Um, and, you know, if you kind of look at my my grandfather, um, you know, he kind of dating back to the, the 40s and 50s, he was a car customizer, and it was a lot of trial and error.
0: Is your grandfather Gary? Neil. Neil. Okay. Yeah, your my, dad is Gary. Yeah. Okay. So, 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 so yes, Neil. My, my
2: grandfather, Neil, uh, grew up right here in North Hollywood, uh, and then um, uh, had a shop in Burbank called Valley Custom Shop from 1948 right. until 1962 and then he moved my family down to Newport Beach um and well that's nice yeah he from became, North Hollywood yeah, to Newport Beach okay yeah he he, he was the body shop <laughs> manager of the Porsche dealership down there and then my dad became oh my parts gosh. manager so you know i so yeah from the from a car standpoint you know my family just has always been passionate about cars and and willing to just go to work really hard and and learn the skills and and um so you know and i think when my when my wife and I got married, you know, she, she had a, um, uh, a real desire to, to do travel type stuff. And she loved like planning events. And mm-hmm. one part of our business for a lot of years is that we were, um, taking people racing all over the country. And so, you know, she really developed her talent through hard work of, of, you know, hospitality and of, you know, of, of taking care of people and setting up events. And, and then, you know, my kids were kind of around all that environment. As, just as around a
0: loving, creative environment where you just don't stop. Yeah,
2: exactly. And cool. And um, and they just learned how to go to work. You know, um,
1: you don't. Yes, accept that. You work in such a cool environment and yeah. like your your headspace being in that car space is so different than like a dad that goes to a bank. So yes.
0: That's true. What's work for you? Well, I mean, you love it. It's so it's not driven. as much. Exactly.
2: Yeah. It's finding your what you're passionate about. That's what I always tell people. It's like it's like if you want to be really good at something, first find out what you really want to be good at. <laughs> right. You know, so, so you don't, that, have so so don't have to try so hard. So you don't have to try so hard. So that it's like every moment of every day you're living and breathing it. You know, um, and, and you can sustain it because it's it's what you want to do right. versus and, working for something else. And you can else. just you know, pick yourself up when you fall down because it's worth it. You know? I think some people get stuck in a rut doing something they don't really like, and they might be going to work every day, but is it really what they're passionate about? And are they going to give every ounce of themselves
0: to it? Right. You know? Um, that's awesome. And I feel like people should learn something from that. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like that's a, that's a soundbite. It's a clip. We should just I feel like roll should over and over, colleges. and over and <laughs> over. Yeah. Right. <A-tap. laughs> um, but yeah,
2: you know, like my son Zane, I mean, he's an actor. We've talked about that a little yeah. bit. You know, he we kind met of, him for
0: the first time at your shop the other yeah, day.
2: You know, he was racing go-karts. You know, I thought for sure he's going to be a car guy. Um, he was racing go-karts and he and I were collecting little model cars and, and,
0: uh, but you he, saw the drawers right in that video all those drawers of matchbox and hot wheels and stuff that's only some of them one. yes and that's these guys collecting yeah and and
2: when he was eight nine years old he came up he put this dream board up on the wall that uh, that was all the things that how did he, he get
0: that idea Rod? Uh, all these did things you? he wanted right <laughs> and it was a picture of
2: Steven Spielberg it was a picture of Disney it was a check that he wrote himself and and um and you know and Amy and I thought, oh this is cute you know this but is are these things
0: that you put out there and said hey you should do this if you want these things to come true or not r- did he come up with really. this you're old? he knew old. that he knew that Amy and I
2: you know created uh kind of you know this is what we want and we were very visual and and you know if we were creating a race team we'd have you know kind of brainstorming sessions of Manifestations this is how we're do it, type and, yeah yeah absolutely know, and visualize it and you can create it yes and uh, and he picked up on some a lot of that stuff and and wow. uh, wanted to be an actor and the next thing you know he was on a disney show and uh, that led to uh you know desperate housewives and criminal minds and ghost <laughs> whisperers he's all and, over the place and uh, shameless and you know 24 but um you know but he's put in the work i mean something the goldbergs
0: even that's a yeah, huge show right now yeah
2: so and my daughter same thing you know she uh, uh she fell in love with the aerial arts and you know she trains 5 6 days a week
1: i saw your video is the, uh, she's incredible I don't even, I forgot to ask you about it at the shop, but yeah. she is aerialist, like gymnastics. Is that what that is?
2: Well, when she was five, six years old, she was in ballet, so she loved you know movement and all that. And then um, once we, once Amy and the kids moved down here to LA, Amy and Zane were kickboxing at a um, a gym over off of Van Nuys and Van Nuys and Ventura, and over in the corner there was a lady that was doing aerial. Um, it was like. I don't know if it was, it wasn't really aerial yoga, but it was like, you know, there was there were aerial silks. And so Jade saw those silks. And and this lady that was teaching people, Jade was just like, she was eight or nine years old. And she's like, I want to do this. And yeah. so she grabbed it. It's this. magic when you watch someone who knows how to do it. It's, it's absolutely a, magic. Yeah, it's just breathtaking. Mm-hmm. And so Jade jumped on it and she has a lot of upper body strength. And she just, you know started climbing herself to the top and started taking lessons and now she's how old was she when, when she started she was nine oh, now she's six years into it and she it's all she it's it's all she can think about i mean she um she does really well in school she's she'll graduate high school at 16 um wow and, but her, her passion and goal is she wants to be in a cirque show um whether it's cirque du soleil or one of the other companies sure. or you know whatever um and she's working she trains at cirque school la which is um on Hollywood Boulevard. Really a great school. Okay. Yeah,
1: that sounds fantastic.
2: Yeah, and she's a junior coach, so she's coaching other young wow. kids that want to get into it. So like
0: the rest of the family, she's going to do everything that she's setting out to do. She will, because she's willing to
2: put in the work. You yeah. know? She's there, like I said, five to six days a week, training her little heart out every night mm. from... 6 p.m. till 9 or 10 p.m. she's just hearing that does my heart good. Yeah.
0: You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. I just love the videos cuz it's so well done and it's, you know, in comparison to my friends that are like, "Look, there's a Groupon for this thing." <laughs> for a bar Strings class or, or something. Yeah, like, right. <laughs> No, my, we know this guy he has got this amazing kid. Like, we used to produce, please go home. <laughs> we used to produce
0: a burlesque show, too. And so we've seen a variety of different levels of talent and ages and all of the above. So when we see your videos and it's like, she's so young and she's so good. Like, she's clearly going to just go and do it. You yeah. know what I mean? Well, she loves
2: it. It's, uh, you know, her her goals are, uh, you know, set on, on being on the show and. And, uh, you know, doing launch control and drifting the GT3,
0: but... uh, (laughs) uh... (laughs) Well, you said she'll be 16 when she graduates. That's right. That's right. Uh, um, All right. Your original car. Go back to that just for a second because you don't have it anymore, but you didn't sell it. You donated it? Is that right? Yeah. So, Do you mind talking about that? No, no problem. I'd love to know Um, where it is in case uh, I can ever see it one
2: day. And what happened. So, you know, I built this car in 1998, finished it in 1990 got my racing license and started racing it all over the country and and uh, I was i raced it for 20 years wow um but as a porsche guy you know and uh, as a kid growing up i always wanted to be a professional race car driver right you know it's like you know y'all want everybody wants to yeah you know be a racer and uh, <laughs> but unfortunately well, i did we all did yeah. all boys did you anyway know, wanted to race indie cars or you know race gt cars whatever but did you have a go-kart as a kid i did yeah, yeah. me too. of course and of course and, and by about 2002, um, um, I had had an opportunity to start racing a GT car in the Rolex series. And, and um, I partnered up with a friend of mine that had lost his leg, um, Chris Ridgway. He was one of my friends growing up, um, raced professional motocross, and, mm-hmm. and uh, lost his leg at Glen Helen Raceway. He crashed. Mm-hmm. And anyways, it, a couple of years of surgeries, and they ended up amputating his left yeah. leg below the knee. So by 2002, 2003, um, he was kind of down in the dumps, didn't have uh, a prosthetic limb, um, and he needed some more stump work, you know, basically yeah. where the, you know, his his leg needed... Sadly,
0: I've heard a lot about Yeah,
2: Yeah. If the surgery doesn't go right, they have to then cut it back open and, and put some cushion around the bottom of the stump and yeah. then build a proper prosthesis, you know, to, to, to give him that. kind of a normal life. And he didn't have insurance, and and my wife and I raised a bunch of money to get him back on his feet, got him wow. um, dialed back in, and then I was like, Chris, you know, you, you're never going to race motocross at the level that you did, right? You know, how about racing cars for a while? Let's, which you can do, yeah. I said, which you can. So, and he had so much like given talent that that. Um, we – I kind of fast-tracked him. I put him in a Mazda Miata to do some uh, endurance racing, did the 25 hours at Thunder Hill and the eight hours at Portland and
0: got his – Did he have a prosthetic at that point or were you doing – Yes. Okay. Yeah. So okay, we got his true.
2: new limb and then and then I put him through a program to get him racing again. It, but he's still using – he's using normal controls. Using normal got controls it. now because it was his left leg, so it was got clutch it. action. Just clutch, yep. Um, and then I said, look, I said, if we go racing, I said, the one thing we have to do is, you know, let's give back, let's figure out a way that we can help other people that are maybe in your situation. So all of our racing efforts from like 2003 until 2008 were around raising money for other people like him. And we'd invite, um, people that had just lost limbs to the racetrack with us. We raced the, the Rolex race at. Fontana, for example, in two thousand five and we had a a new recipient that came and spent some time with us and uh that hadn't received his new limb yet. Okay. And uh we partnered up with a foundation called the Limbs for Life Foundation, which provided quality prosthetic limbs and care to people that couldn't afford it. Mm -hmm. So that process, if you had a if you had lost your leg, um it's about a thirty thousand dollar process, right? And because of all the relationships that we had with the Limbs for Life Foundation, it only took about three dollars to $4,000 to put Holy you back hell. on your feet. So about 10%. So we could make a huge impact on people by raising a small amount of money. Um, and we you know, would raise thirty, forty thousand dollars 40000 you know put 10 people back on their feet. This is incredible. Um, so for the was... record,
1: you're giving people their lives back. You're yeah. not just putting them on their feet, so to speak. Well, yeah. just So you know, like as a person, what you're doing. That's the, one the, of the
2: reasons
0: I wanted this story to the, be told. It's... The
2: real goal was, yeah, to, to give that... You know that single mom that was a waitress, um, an opportunity to have both feet again, so that she can work um, to provide for her family, mm-hmm. um, or that dad that you know that was a chef uh, that that uh, could no longer provide for his family because he couldn't stand on two feet. And there's so many people out there in in the world that that need just a little bit of help. Yep. And yeah, you can you can make a huge impact on their lives and the generations to come. And um, so we knew that by doing our small part, we could raise a little bit of money and, you know, we'd have fun racing, but it was an opportunity for us to share the message. Right. And, um, we would do these, um, uh, fundraising campaigns at the track where we would, um, we set up this, you know, booth and my wife, Amy would set all this stuff up. We'd set up this booth that, you know, we had a you know, a leg sitting there and, Mm -hmm. you know, a prosthetic limb and people would come up and they'd grab the flyer and they, you know, and it was right there next to our car and our car said limbs for life foundation all over it. And so it was a lot of fun, but we we had an opportunity to really impact a lot of lives. Right. And and that was the, important to you. It was important. And and because our driver was also a um, surviving amputee. Yeah. He wasn't, we weren't just, we didn't just attach ourselves to a charity and, and not have a purpose for it. Right. So it was really purpose driven racing. Anyway, so we did that for, for a lot of years from 2002 until about 2008. And then 2009, 2010, the whole economic landscape of our nation changed. Yep. Um, for everybody, wake up call for everyone, yeah, Yeah, including a lot of nonprofits. All of a sudden, they were struggling to try to find ways to get
0: their message out there and ways to get donors to contribute. Interesting, I would not have thought of that. Yes. I mean, of course, it, it, everybody has to tighten their belt. It people just didn't stopped even racing. Occur to me.
2: People stopped going to sports. They stopped traveling. They stopped doing all this. this. So yeah. naturally, they're going to s- slow down their giving efforts, right? Yeah. And so um, at the time, the executive director of the foundation, the Limbs for Life Foundation, came to me and he says, Hey, Rod, he goes, you know, it was so great from 2002, three to about 2008. You know, you really helped raise awareness. Our car was on the roof of a Daytona prototype in the Grand American Rolex series. And you had your stuff on the cars. He goes, you got any ideas to help us just kind of, you know... Keep come, the momentum can, going. Kind of keep the momentum going. And this was about the end of 2009. I said, well, I said... Um, Really all I can do at this point is either build a car and um or I said, you know what? I said my first car that I built has treated me extremely mm. well. I said I've raced it for twenty years. It was wow. The first car that I raced was the first car that Chris Ridgway, who was my amputee buddy, uh you know, started racing. I said, you know what? I said, I'll donate it. Now at the time, you know, the car um you know, the the, the value of these outlaws wasn't <laughs> sure, sure where it is you know today um i mean that car today is probably worth you know 200 plus you know maybe i think you're being very very polite at at the time it was maybe it's it's, rod emery's first car it was maybe worth 60 or 70 thousand dollars at the time sure and um, so Amy and I made a decision that you know what let's let's do something big and bold and um, you know we kind of we're always kind of in the mentality that the more we
0: give the more we receive you know that's and, what and, I was going to say before when you were talking about oh when people don't have as much they don't give as much and I go but isn't that when you're supposed to give they say you're supposed to give especially when you don't have yeah
2: but when you're writing checks to yeah charities. I guess you're right it's easier I said think than done
0: <laughs> when, when
1: your economic landscape personally is thrown up in the air like yeah. you reevaluate everything and those are the unfortunately. A lot of the last ones to be re put on the list.
2: Yeah. And it was just really hard, you know, at that time for these, you know, foundations to really kind of spark some interest. And right. So I said, you know what? I said, there's this thing Facebook that, you know, because 2009, Facebook was relatively new. Pretty hot, too. Yeah. I said, you know, um, I'll donate it to the charity, to Limps for Life Foundation. I said, and I think that through my network, um, you know, you guys will handle all the, you know, the, um, the tickets, handle all that side of it. Um, let me just promote it. So you give me a place where I can send people, and you can sell two thousand tickets at hundred bucks a piece. Oh, so it's not, it wasn't even an auction; it was a raffle. It was a raffle. Wow! Uh, that so everybody Limbs, had a shot. That the Limbs for Life Foundation did, and, and um, yeah, it was that uh, is brilliant. And you know, so uh, I had donated the car, and then they um, they sold eighteen hundred, um, you know, hundred dollar tickets. Cool. And then um, at their annual function which was like in December in, in Texas um, Chris Ridgeway and my wife and I we trailered the car to Texas and then on stage uh, we pulled a ticket and then I trailered the car and delivered it to the guy that won, Holy ca- won so that thing. was all, it How wasn't fun. a put on, it
0: was all live you pulled a name it was all and live. there it is, it really yeah. happened and then we Holy read the, we cow. read the
2: name off and uh, it was a guy just outside of Galveston Texas, um, I forget what, exactly what city but um, anyways, uh, really a neat guy and donated, the. then I took the car and and, uh, trailered it to him, gave it to him and he was blown away. He had bought one ticket that was, uh, some VW website had like, you know, uh, promoted the link on their site or something. Okay. And, so it got picked up. Uh, yeah. And so it was really cool. It was all done. But he's a VW
1: guy and he got your car? Yeah. He was a VW That's guy. so neat. That so
2: he kept so it cool. for two years and then, uh, his name was Scott. He kept it for two years and then, uh, he sold it to a guy that has it up in the Northeast and, uh, the guy drives it. All the time. I get pictures at Cars and Coffee. He, didn't, he didn't take my name off the side. Uh, Zane's name still on the, the passenger door. He wouldn't door. change a thing. Absolutely. Uh, the car's exactly how it is. And and I hadn't seen it. Uh, you know, I, I lost physical touch with it in 2010. Uh, and then two years ago, I was in New York City doing something on Varney & Company, the Fox business thing. And, um, you like, know what? I watched
0: that. You were yeah. literally right on this, like in the plaza. Yeah. I did watch that. And I just assumed it was still yours. That's so funny.
2: Yeah. So I called the guy that owns it and, because uh, he's East Coast, and said, Hey, you know, oh, is there any gosh. way that I can get my car, my old car down here for uh Varney and, and company thing? He goes, sure thing. No problem. Send the transporter. So the transporter picked it up and brought it down there. And then I, uh, I said, do you mind if I drive it while I'm here? <laughs> and I, I put a thousand miles on it where wow. did
1: you go everywhere <laughs>
2: everywhere i i, I go to lime I, rock i got back in it and um no just all through the palisades and then up in uh, oh good like
0: bear mountain like, air uh, parkway all and stuff.
2: through bear mountain and then cool. uh, you know i got all these people that were like
0: oh rod you're here you
2: want to go for a drive sure i'm, I'm you being, betcha uh, i love I it and it was a reunion for you I, it must have been wonderful I mean, there was one night that uh we were shooting video and photos of a friend of mine t-minus he was uh uh, he, you know, we took it to Soho. We, we were just, it was like, I, I didn't want to get out of it. While my family was going to, you know, every play on the, you know, uh, you know you. on Broadway, I was out driving my old car. Um.
0: All right. Well, a segue to this. That car was so cool and so important uh, because you built it exactly how you wanted it. And you wanted it how you wanted it because of a different car. Right, which you ended up. Um, <laughs> a nice three sixty on how that that coveting went. <laughs> yeah, um, can we talk about the SL? Sure. Yeah. So the the three fifty six SL, which you saw in that first video
2: that you guys yep, played forty six there. Um, you know that's Porsche's first race car and the first Porsche to win the twenty four hours of Le Mans. Um, that's
1: one I learned all about it. Used to be red, I believe. <laughs> well, yeah, that's it right. Used to, it used to to have no
2: to yes. top. Yes. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> You're, you're an expert on the uh, you, <laughs> you know, one car um, <laughs> so you know that that car is really special because that's the beginning of all Porsche Motorsport and the beginning of uh really Porsche's racing history yeah and um
0: well know, it, was, it could have gone a totally different way right if that car didn't win or if it didn't do well or if it got crashed or whatever else I mean the entire Porsche story could have gone a different way
2: yeah you know that car really boosted their confidence and, mm-hmm. and made the public realize that these little goofy looking little you know, German cars were not just cute to look at, but they had they got performance, a shot. yeah, and, and uh, really pretty special. So, yeah, that was a car that um, that I loved. Uh, you know, I mean, I
0: you'd never seen it. Obviously, it was no. just posters and books and stuff like
2: that, right? Yeah, you know, around my dad's shop, he always had magazines, and you know, there was um, posters and little models of it. You know, it was just one of those cars that that. You know, they were so different looking because of the fender skirts on them. Right. That they were recognizable. And, I, you know, so when my dad and I were throwing around ideas of how we're going to do his right-hand drive car and my car, mm-hmm. um, it was like, you know, we drew as much inspiration off of that number 46 car as we could. You know, we put the same hood handle on it and the same, um, you know— Leather straps the on the straps, front, yeah. and you know, we did body bumpers that just looked just like it on the front, yeah. fog lights that looked just like it, and split the windshield, and kinda all these cool little characteristics that were, you know, drawn from inspiration of the number forty six car. I didn't know at the time when when we were building those cars that um, I'd have an opportunity to restore the actual. That's Le Mans what I'm getting car. at.
0: The full three sixty of this story to me is what's so fascinating because the first one you ever built is basically an homage, a personal homage to this other car. And this other car is the the, the one that you know it, it's it's the unobtainable un, unobtainable right it's the holy grail type thing the one that
1: raced at Le Mans though. yeah
0: and then one day you do find whatever you do get to do this and coming to full I'm talking in a ridiculous circle here but I get it there's get a it. reason I'm I'm bringing this stuff up and it's only to interrupt for a second I grew up loving Letterman obviously and I've tracked everything Letterman all of my life in the same way that that you did with this car and very recently we both located and were since given uh, the original David Letterman desk and chairs oh, that's <laughs> like awesome. from the, like Drew Barrymore like all of that stuff so we actually own those and it was the same type of thing i'm like oh well you just you keep your you keep your head in the game and you keep uh, um keep your i don't know keep your focus on whatever you're looking for and then one day it just sort of magically happens cuz we didn't do anything somebody called us it was wow. the weirdest thing like a museum that was like, oh, we don't really know what but to do. But like it anymore.
1: like you, it's so much work that had been done before. It's that right. whole corporation oh, yeah. meets opportunity, whatever that whole I didn't mean to make things. it
0: sound like it was just a gift but univ- the, you you put enough effort into the universe and like magic crap happens well, <laughs> it does your, your
1: story about that car is similar in that it w- it looked so many different ways and it was in so many different hands i feel like or at least hidden from like everyone else yeah. so it's a neat, it's a cool story i love those stories yeah,
0: but yeah it's so not I didn't to read anymore cut you off there but the full 360 of the oma i mean cuz this you know you yeah. don't know this but in high school i had like a little letterman talk show like oh, I, that's totally awesome. was obsessed and grew up in the same town where he lived outside. You know, of Letterman had a 356, right? I heard about it. I, I uh, think I've seen it. Yeah, well, my dad... He had uh, a 944 as well. Yeah, he had a bunch um, of
2: stuff. He came to my dad's shop in Costa Mesa, maybe in the late 70s or early 80s or something. Uh, him and his driver came up and And uh, he came and bought some parts for my dad at the parts counter. So uh, right there at, uh, he's been to 2950 Randolph Avenue. Oh, no kidding. That's That's so funny. I know. Yeah. He
0: uh, he used to keep stuff at the airport. I don't think that's the case anymore. Ironically. Yeah. Different airport now. Yeah. (laughs) On the other side. Um, I didn't mean to cut off the SL story, but the full 360 of that is what's so incredibly appealing to me. Like you were the guy for the job. The car was going to end up with you. That's just how the world works. Yeah, you know I mean that's know, how the universe I mean, works. I'm
2: extremely grateful that I had the opportunity, and and uh, not just because of the restoration, but just the the opportunity that I had to learn so much more about the car, and also to to um, bring that information kind of to the public, mm-hmm. um, and and it pushed me. Uh, my wife and I were just talking about it the other day. You know, I mean that was a, a project in a car that pushed me beyond you know my. Current skill set as mm-hmm. I had it leading up to that, and uh, kind of forced me to to have to learn 3D scanning and um, you know kind of digital you know stuff and it's kind of and, a bridge well gap as... in the weirdest way. You need the new to redo this old. Well, you really did because I needed information that I was gathering around the world, mm-hmm. and I couldn't just borrow those cars and right. plop them in my workshop. And so, in order to to have as much accurate information. I had to go and 3D scan other cars and other gas tanks and Whoa. get all that data together so that I could, in my little North Hollywood shop, you know, re- Remake what was missing on the car.
0: I didn't realize you went to those lengths to actually go, you know, travel around and go oh, scan other. Yeah. Three years. It was. uh It's it important was... people know that. I mean, yeah. that's how well that car is done.
2: Uh, there's a documentary that was done that um soon. Hopefully, it'll be. Uh, oh, okay, it'll be out That that kind of shows the whole process. Oh, good. All right.
0: Well, then I don't want to talk too much about it. Yeah. Sorry about as
1: that. As long so. as that was documented, because it that's was. that's the kind of it was of a thing really
0: great film back. crew that that uh, followed the entire process. Oh, good. Good, and it had to be a year or
2: so, right? Well, it was totally it was about three years of information gathering and then two full years of restoration. So okay. like everything spanned over a five-year period. Wow. Yeah.
1: You boys in your cars.
0: Right? You just yeah.
1: keep going forever. I know. That is absolutely <laughs> incredible.
0: Um, I know you have to get going. Um, we're just about at the hour cool. mark. Um, and I also feel like we're at a good place, but I hope someday we can talk again uh, on the air. I know I'll see you again, but I hope we can do this again. Yeah, if I mean, there's you, more stuff. You're a long ways from me. so Yeah, the commute getting here might. Well, take if me we some can time. make it more convenient for you, I mean, of course. <laughs> I'm gonna go find your other bike, <laughs> <laughs> just
1: park it right over here, and be like, "Hi." <laughs> oh, Rod right, Emery, thank you for coming over. Thank you over. so thank much you for dude.
0: Uh, telling us all the stuff, having us to your shop, and just being a really. Um, you're a light in this community. You thank really you. are in a lot of ways, and uh, and you're really inspiring. Thank you really so inspiring. much. So That's the word I was going to use. Thank you so. Thanks yeah. for
1: saying that. And seriously, you and Amy are a different kind of story that there aren't a lot of. So thank you for sharing it. Yeah.
2: Oh, it's yeah. my pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: You guys are awesome. Uh, we love you at home. We will see you tomorrow. Let's just wrap it up. <laughs> no sense to make it uh, dramatic. <laughs> love you all. Love you, Mr. you. good.